Bibles this evening, open them with me to Luke, the fourth chapter, Luke chapter four, and um, amen. We'll begin at verse number one. We're talking about giving the Lord the place he deserves in our lives. And um, we said last Sunday night that a disciple is someone who has given Jesus place in their life. Others have refused to give him. One way to define discipleship, you know, I love to define discipleship different ways. Amen. The Lord spoke to me end of last year that, um, that many of his people are wanting him to do things in their lives that they haven't given him place to do. And they uh, are wanting him to keep some things that, that, that we haven't committed to him. And uh, even people getting upset with him. But um, it's never his fault. Amen. If there's any weakness, any issue, it's on our side of the relationship and not his. But he's speaking to us, right? He's speaking to us. Amen. Amen. He built on that. He said the church is wanting him to have a place in our nation that we haven't yet given him in the church. We want him to have a place in the church that we've not yet given him in our families. And we want him to have a place in our families that we've not yet given him personally. Let me say that another way, all right? We, we want him to make us a priority, but, but we haven't made him a priority. How can he be Lord over the family if he's not Lord over the mom and dad in that family? How, how can he be Lord over the church if he's not Lord over the people and families that are the church? How can he be Lord over a nation if he's not Lord over his people living in that nation? Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 4 is going to talk about a lot of things, but one of the main themes that are being spoken to here is this thought of giving him the place that he deserves. So I'll just kind of quickly review what we talked about this morning, then we'll build on it, Okay. So in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. It amazes me how many people in the body of Christ still do not understand that Jesus emptied himself of everything that made him God and became a human being. He became a man. Everything that Jesus did on planet earth, he did as a man in right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, of myself, I can do nothing. See, we have this idea that Jesus just kind of stepped out of heaven and put a, put a, a man's costume on and was, was you know, actually... Um, the Son of God, you know, you know just wearing a, 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 the costume of a human being doing what he did. Jesus did what he did as us. He became one of us. And if you read the Bible very carefully, it says this. I mean, it, this isn't something you have to like twist or have a, you know, a degree in, in, in uh, you know, Greek hermeneutics or something to figure out. It's, it's very plain. Matter of fact, in Hebrews, it says he had to become a man in order to do for us what he did for us. So there were no miracles. Jesus performed no miracles until he was baptized in, he turned 30 years old. He was baptized in water by John the Baptist and then baptized in the Holy Spirit by God the Father. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained. And it was when the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained, this is where his power came from. 
And it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did everything he did as a man on this planet. The, the, the healings, the casting out the devils, stopping um, violent weather patterns, even walking on water. Amen. He did all of that, of course, by faith. I think that goes without saying, but let me just say it. By faith, right standing with God, full of the Holy Spirit. And so he's talking about this in Luke 4. Now, we're not going to read the section about him um, being uh, tempted. Um, obviously, he overcame every temptation by doing what? By speaking the Word of God. Now, go with me to verse uh, 14 and 15. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit after being tempted um, to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Being glorified by all. Now, I want to, again, try to quickly do something tonight. We have four gospel accounts. The gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, and the gospel according to John. And each one of these are eyewitness accounts of the earthly life teachings and ministry of Jesus, but when they were recorded, the Holy Spirit inspired them and they became Scripture. They became the Holy Word of God. And in each of these gospels, we have a, a different perspective and, and different details. There were things that, that Mark recorded that Matthew didn't and things that John saw that, and, and, and was led by the Holy Spirit to record that, that Luke didn't and so forth and so on. And so many times, like for instance, um, one of the miracle accounts that is contained in all three gospels is when um, Jairus, his daughter, was raised from the dead and the woman with the issue of blood interrupted him on Jesus' way to the house and and you know, if you read all three accounts, you get details from one that you didn't get from the other two and so forth. And as you read it all, the full picture develops. You find out it was his daughter, then later you find out she was 12 years old, right? And it's, it's, it's things like that, amen. The, the different, um, you know, background info is included um, in, in the various Gospels. Now, if, if we take these events, and we see that they're spoken of in Matthew, they're spoken of in Mark, and then they're spoken of in Luke. Um, we see here that Jesus went in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and he preached the gospel of the kingdom and, and, and you know, was glorified uh, by all in Galilee. Matthew's gospel tells us that he went to the various synagogues, and there were people healed of all kinds of diseases. There were people who were bound by demons that were set free. There were uh, people who were paralyzed that were raised up. There were people who, who suffered from epilepsy that, that were um, you know, healed of that. And everywhere Jesus went, there were mighty signs and wonders and miracles that were taking place, okay? Now, we then see that after this experience in Galilee, Jesus comes back to Nazareth, right? And so in verse 15 it says, And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified um, by all. That was in Galilee. Verse 16 so he came to Nazareth, 
where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So remember now, let's, I, I know you got this, but I want to make sure you connect this. Jesus is telling people who were not there when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, this happened. There were people who witnessed that. There were people who saw the Spirit of God in the form of a dove descend upon him and remain upon him. And he left that experience empowered in a way that he had not been empowered before. So he was raised in Nazareth, but he was not raised filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit resting upon him until now. And so this is his first trip back to Nazareth with the power of God's Holy Spirit upon him. And so he makes the announcement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And it's very easy for us to, to get caught up in the, in the biblicalness of this. It was like the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But no, no, think, imagine what's going on here. Jesus has returned to his hometown. He goes into the synagogue, just like he'd went into all those different synagogues in Galilee. He goes into the synagogue. He takes a scroll. He opens the scroll in Isaiah. In our uh, modern-day Bible, it's Isaiah chapter 61. I don't know if each chapter was in a scroll. I don't know how that worked in those days. But he got the scroll that had that passage in it. He opened that scroll, and he read this announcement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. <coughs> Excuse me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Let me get a drink of water. Because He, the Holy Spirit, has anointed me. To do what? To preach, proclaim good news to the poor. Why do you think good news to the poor actually looks like. If you're in poverty and somebody comes to you with good news, what is he preaching to them? What is he telling them? He's telling them you don't have to be poor anymore. That's good news, right? Preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed. And then verse 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want to just, I want to pause here for a moment, all right? Two things before we go any further. Number one. Notice that it said this was his custom. This was his habit. In Galilee, the Bible says, went to the synagogues, plural. If you're not familiar with what a synagogue is, think local church, but just Jewish. Temple would have been the main headquarters. The synagogues would have been local outposts in various cities and communities. And Jesus went to every one of those synagogues. Now, we don't have this recorded, but strategically so, we see now that when he came to his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, the Bible said he did there what his custom was. He did there what his habit was, what his pattern was, what his routine was. Meaning in all of those other synagogues in um, Galilee, 
He went in there. He took the scroll, Isaiah 61. He read, announced the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, right? Because he was now going forth in the power of the Spirit. And we see that after he announced that, people gave him the place of one who occupied that position and everything that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to accomplish was being accomplished in those various uh, cities in that whole region of Galilee. Now he comes to Nazareth. He does the same thing in Nazareth that he did there. But their response to him was different. And because their response was different, what he was able to do among them was limited at best. Now, that's kind of the heart, if you will, of, of what the Holy Spirit, I think, is wanting us to see. But before we go any further, let's just spend a minute or two on what the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus to actually produce in people's lives. We've already mentioned to preach the gospel to the poor. Now listen to me, please. Poverty is not of God. Poverty is part of the curse. And Jesus became a curse for us so that we could be redeemed from the curse and become a partaker of the blessings of Abraham. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. This idea that the Bible does not teach Physical, financial prosperity is ridiculous. You cannot read the Bible with an open heart and mind and not see that God is interested in the quality of life that we live. There are people on planet Earth who are in such impoverished, impoverished conditions that they are literally dying for a lack of food to eat. That's poverty at its most extreme um, level or extreme degree but when we don't have the money to pay our power bill that's poverty as well it's not it's just a, a lesser degree of the same issue am I right about it am I right about it so Jesus came to preach good news to the poor and of course we know that that good news was that the kingdom has come and the kingdom is going to be given to you and me. The resources of God's kingdom, the authority of God's kingdom. He's going to give it to us. It's Father's good pleasure for Him to give us that kingdom and He's going to put that kingdom inside of us. Jesus went on to explain in greater detail that if we seek first the kingdom, everything we need will be added to us. That our lives are so much more than what we wear and what we eat. Amen? But yet people have been consumed with provision. People have been consumed with finances and resources. And they wake up every day trying to figure out how to get what they need and how to, how to have their needs met. He said to you and me, I will meet your needs according to my riches in glory. He wants us to trust Him for our needs so that we can focus on the very purpose for which we were created, fellowship with Him and building His kingdom in the earth. Good news to the poor man, to the poor woman, is you don't have to be poor anymore. This is why the Bible says, let the poor man say, I'm rich.
he says that he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Well, this is talking about all types of internal, emotional pain, loss, failure, grief, rejection. Come on now, I'm sure that in a room full of folks this size that somebody in here has experienced a broken heart at least once or twice in your life. And the Bible says Jesus announced to them that the Holy Spirit has anointed me, empowered me to heal those who have been broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And then... I'm reading from the New King James Version. I know it says recovery site to the bind. We'll come back to that one. Set at liberty those who are oppressed, who are, let me say it this way. He's talking about two categories of people. Captives, you with me tonight? Captives and prisoners. Jesus came to set free those who were captive and those who were imprisoned. You say, well, what is the difference, Pastor Mark? Well, I think the fundamental difference is this. Those who are imprisoned are those who are bound with chains because of choices they made, because of decisions that they made, because of things that they got involved in and participated in. Those who are captives, think of an invading army coming in and, and taking a, a group of people or even an entire nation captive and making them slaves. So you've got two categories of folks. I teach it this way when I teach on the, the parable of the two sons, all right? When, when, that, when that younger brother went in that faraway country, we see that he experienced two different kinds of, 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 of experiences, if you will. Maybe I'm, that's the wrong way of saying it, but two different things that he dealt with. First of all, the things that he signed up for, consequences of his own actions. But then there was a whole other category of things that affected him that he did not sign up for, that we could say he was a victim of. The good news tonight is that Jesus announced that he was anointed to both set free captives and prisoners. People who have become imprisoned, people who have become enslaved because of choices they made, as well as set those free who have become enslaved because of choices and actions that somebody else made and took. Amen. Then he said, recovery of sight to the blind. I believe this also has a twofold meaning. I believe he was literally, because did Jesus not restore physical sight to people who were physically blind? He absolutely did. Those were considered to be among his most uh, amazing and spectacular miracles. The young man that he healed that was born blind. Amen. And, and if you recall, it was said of, of that young man that it had never before been recorded in, in history that anyone knew of that someone who was born blind had, had, had their sight restored. And of course, th this man um, was someone who experienced that kind of miracle. But I believe Jesus is also talking about another kind of sight that he came to give us. 
He came to give us spiritual vision. He came to give us the eyes of faith. He came to give us the ability to see what our physical eyes as such cannot see. He came to give us the ability to see beyond this created realm. The ability to see beyond ourselves. The ability to see beyond our circumstances. The ability to see into the realm of the Spirit. The, the ability to see, as the Bible says, Moses endured everything that he endured as if he was seeing him who is invisible. He came to give us spiritual eyes. To see what has always been there, but that we had been previously blinded to. And then the Bible says that he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now we could teach the rest of February on what that one statement, that one proclamation by Jesus actually means. But what Jesus is referring to here is what the Bible teaches and calls Jubilee. Jubilee was this period of time that came once every 49 years or every 50th year. It was a year of jubilee. And in that year of jubilee, any debt that you had would have been erased if, let's say, you'd, you'd lost your job and, and, and the bank had foreclosed and, and your home had been repossessed. Then at the end of that 49th year, everything that you had lost um, it, it was restored back to its original owner. Are you hearing me? Amen. It, it was a time of unprecedented celebration. It was a time of unprecedented uh, uh, prosperity uh, and rejoicing. Because again, it's, it's still this way uh, in, in parts of the United States and our economy, but especially in other um, economic situations in the world, uh, you don't have much of a middle class. You've got an elite group who are extremely wealthy, and then you have a whole bunch of folks who are taken advantage of by the extremely wealthy. And that was the case in Jesus' day. And so Father God put a measure in place so that when the year of Jubilee rolled around, things that you had lost, things that had been taken away from you, things that, that um, you know, in those days, man, it was brutal. Um, a family could have a debt... And, and they couldn't pay that debt, they'd come take your sons and sell them into slavery to pay that debt. They'd become bond servants. Well, again, at the end of that 49th year, when that 50th year rolled around, that jubilee year rolled around, it was the acceptable year of the, of the Lord. And all those uh, sons and, and children that had, had gone into slavery because of debts and things of that nature, they were released and sent back home to mama and daddy. So Jesus would go to these various synagogues. He would read this well-known prophecy from Isaiah. He would roll up the scroll, hand it back to the attendant, and he would then go and sit down in a chair that would have been in all of those synagogues reserved specifically for the Messiah. He would sit down in that chair and he would say, Today, this day, these... Uh, Verses, these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Fulfilled in your hearing. Now, you see why they looked at him like he was crazy in Nazareth. You see why, you know, they probably, you know, like gasped. And although the Bible says that they were amazed or in awe or wonder at the gracious words that came out of his mouth... Their final conclusion about him was simply this. 
Is this not Joseph's son? Now, the Bible says in Galilee, because I'm trying to get you to see. Now, the one we left out, and I don't want to get you too scattered out tonight, but I said that it was in three of the Gospels. Luke just simply says that he went to Galilee, and he, he proclaimed in the synagogues, and he was glorified by all. Matthew tells us the full details of what took place there, and everything that Jesus proclaimed about himself, um, he was able to produce result of in those people's lives in Galilee. We're talking thousands of people who were touched, healed, delivered, blessed, prospered. You hear what I'm saying? By Jesus in Galilee. So then he comes to Nazareth, and he does in the synagogue in Nazareth what he had done numerous times in many different cities throughout the region of Galilee, experiencing all those results in Galilee. He comes to Nazareth, and he does the same thing in Nazareth, but in Nazareth, it goes over like a lead balloon. In Nazareth, they go, man, that was one of the most beautiful, eloquent um, uh, recitations, recitations of, of, of those verses we've ever heard, Jesus, but <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. We know you. You're not the Messiah. You're Joseph's son. Now, notice Jesus said today, today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Verse 21. You see it? Then he closed the book, verse 20, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Again, I want you to consider what he's saying here. Today means today. Like right now. Today means your waiting is over. Today means your waiting is over. So just think for a moment, right? You're, you know, you're, you're waiting on something to, to come and you just you keep calling, hey, is it, is it in yet? Is it in yet? Is it in yet? Is it in yet? No, it's going to be a few more weeks. You call a few more weeks. You know, is it in today? No, it's not. It Maybe call me back tomorrow, you know, whatever. But you finally call and they say, yeah, it, it came in today, Right? That means all of the waiting for it to come is over. And so now it's available. So today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This word fulfilled means fill the empty places, supply abundantly, so as to be fully supplied. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying today the supplies needed to get the job done that were previously unavailable are now available. Everything needed is now available to make everything happen I just read to you right now. 
This was exactly what Jesus read, said, and did in the synagogues in Galilee. But we will see an entirely different response to him in Nazareth and entirely different results. So let's bring Mark's gospel into this. Mark records these events in the sixth chapter. Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, but the way Luke's gospel falls, these events aren't recorded until chapter 6. Mark's gospel, rather, they're not recorded until chapter 6. Now, we've already read these, uh, uh, I don't know, it's been a few weeks back, but um, let's go there just quickly. And um, verse number 1. Mark 6 and 1. Then he went out from there and came to his home country and his disciples followed him. So just to orient you, he was in Galilee. Tremendous results. Lots of people touched, ministered to, healed. So he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. What was he teaching in the synagogue? Well, we know that from Luke's gospel. He was teaching out of Isaiah 61. He made the announcement that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has empowered me. He has now made all of these things that you've heard about for generations. They're now fully supplied, and I am among you with the ability to perform every bit of this for you today, right here, right now, in this place. Right? In Galilee, they went wild. In Galilee, they hooped and hollered and cheered and celebrated and glorified him. That word glorified means they gave him a very high position. They set him up in a place as Messiah. They recognized and received him as Messiah. And because they gave him place of Messiah, he was able to do what the Messiah was sent to them to do in their lives. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were, what, offended at him. But Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor. Honor means to be received or be, to be given the place that, that you deserve or belongs to you in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. All right, I'm almost out of time. Let me, um, I want to get to one part of this and then we'll pick it up. Well, next week the Odell's will be with us. It'll be two weeks, but that's okay. We can, we can review it, all right? Verse 22, again, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now remember, what did they say in Galilee? In Galilee, it, it says, and they all glorified him. They all gave him that place. In Nazareth, rather than all elevating, honoring, value, esteeming him, raising him to that place of honor, they 
the general consensus was, is this not Joseph's son? Now, Matthew 16, 15, what did he, remember this question? He said to them, who do you say that I am? The people in Galilee answered this question much differently than the people in Nazareth. In Galilee, when he took that seat in the synagogue that was reserved for the Messiah, they said, hallelujah, the Messiah is finally here. When he took that seat in Nazareth, they said, we know your brothers. We know your daddy. We know your sisters. Are you not Joseph's son? Now, it's funny because I thought I'd be here this morning. Verse 23. Do you get anything out of this tonight? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. What are they saying? Look, Jesus, we've heard about you. We've heard that you supposedly healed a blind man. We heard that you supposedly cast out some demons. We heard that you supposedly fed a bunch of people. We heard that, that you, you know, did this and that. But, you know, we, we're not convinced. So do some of that for us and we'll figure out if you're anything besides Joseph's son. Jesus could not do anything among them with that attitude. Not that he wouldn't. The Bible says he couldn't. He couldn't. They wouldn't give him place. And because they wouldn't give him... They, now, let me, this is the one thing, and, and are you patient with me tonight? I just, I got to get this said, okay? So just a few more minutes, all right? <clears throat> Do you think anybody in Nazareth had a broken heart? Do you think anybody in Nazareth was poor? Do you think anybody in Nazareth was sick? Do you think anybody in Nazareth was enslaved by their own flesh? Do you think anybody in Nazareth had become a victim and, and, and was in a place in life because of what other people had done to them. Do you think anybody in Nazareth needed some things restored to them? Here comes Jesus up in the middle of them to heal their broken hearts, open their blinded eyes, heal their sick babies, restore to them what had been stolen from them, set them free from sin, set them free from the slaves of their own uh, habits and addictions and fleshly uh, uh, indulgences. He came up in the middle of them to do every bit of that for them. That day, that day, their attitude was, if you want to take that seat here, you're going to have to prove it. That's what is meant by this phrase, physician, heal yourself. Physician, heal yourself. Let me, let me give you this and I'll pray, okay? Who's ever heard that, physician, heal thyself? You know, people quote that, they don't even know it's in the Bible. But this is, I mean, you, you won't necessarily find this, quote-unquote, as a proverb in the Bible. This was a saying that was very common as far back as Jesus' day. And so Jesus, quoting this common saying among the people, you will surely say, physician, 
heal thyself. So I did a little research because I was curious exactly as to what it meant for them to say to him, physician, heal thyself. This phrase or saying or proverb, are you ready? It was used to mock quack physicians. For instance, someone who came to town claiming to have a cure for baldness only to be discovered that they were wearing a wig to conceal their own baldness. Physician, heal yourself. In other words, you're coming to us trying to give something to us or sell something to us or present something to us that you don't even believe in yourself. Physician, heal thyself. It gets a little stronger. Are you ready? This phrase also meant take care of your own faults before you dare say anything about ours. Deal with your own business before you get so bold as to stick your nose in ours. Can I tell you what I believe that was all about? We know that your mama was pregnant with you before you and Joseph were born. Before her and Joseph were married, right? Yeah, you got me even I said it like something crazy, right? You see it? In other words, who do you think you are to come up in here offering help to us when we're all much better off than you are? Illegitimate. You, you see this? It gets nastier. This was a way of literally saying to someone, mind your own business, hypocrite. Mind your own business, hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone who claims to have something or to be able to do something that they do not actually possess or cannot actually do. A hypocrite is when you hold yourself up to be something that you're not. Am I right about it? Are you seeing this? An entirely different reception from Nazareth than what he received in Galilee. Did it affect, did it affect his ability to work among them? You better know it did. Stand with me. Today, today is still today. Jesus is just as anointed today to heal broken-hearted folks in this room. Come on now. He's just as anointed today as he was in Nazareth, as he was in Galilee, as he was any other day before that or after that to do these same things in your life and in my life. What place are we giving him? What place are we giving him? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for the things that you're teaching us, the things that you're showing us. Lord, I know we kind of had an ambitious uh, agenda tonight, covered a lot of things, but I thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit is helping us really catch the, the heart of what it is.
that these verses exist um, to reveal to us and to show us and to teach us. Father, may we be like those folks in Galilee, not like those folks in Nazareth. May we be like the ones who form an opinion of you that says, you know what, this is the Messiah. I'm going to elevate you in a position in my life, in a place in my life, in a priority in my life that you deserve. Not like those folks in Nazareth who questioned you at every turn, who, who questioned your right to say anything to them about anything to do with their life, how they were living, what they were experiencing. Father, they had problems, but they were offended when Jesus suggested that they were poor and needed some help, bound and needed set free, brokenhearted and needed somebody to, to love them and help them. Father, may we not take that same path of, of denial and, and, and offense, uh, but may we humble ourselves before you, Father, to receive from you what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives and in our families. Father, as we go our separate way this, tonight and this week, may we let our lights shine before others that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Good things coming. Good things coming. We'll see you, some of you in the morning, some of you Tuesday morning, some of you Wednesday, and many different points throughout the week.